Welcome to the Forge Leadership Podcast. Today, Simon Barrington is joined by the leadership principal of the Church Pastoral Aid Society, James Lawrence. James has over 20 years experience of training leaders and shares his insights in this thought-provoking interview. So welcome to the Forge Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by James Lawrence. Uh, James, welcome. Thank you. Great to be with you. Brilliant. Now, James, tell us a little bit about yourself. You teach and develop leaders as a, as a profession, don't you? Tell us about yourself and, and your own leadership journey. Yes, I work for an organization called CPAS, which is an Anglican mission agency. And my role here is leadership principal. So I oversee our leadership development work, uh, working with leaders around the country, uh, trying to help them think through um, how to grow and develop as leaders themselves. And um, my own leadership journey really... Um, started back when I was a teenager. Um, I wasn't a, a naturally confident uh, teenager. Um, in fact, my very best friend was the naturally confident leader, I suppose, uh, and uh, I just tagged along with him. Um, but I came to faith as a 13-year-old, and uh, that started a massive transformation uh, in my life. Um, and over the next three years, through to about 16, I um, sort of grew in that faith, came to some clarity about what that faith might mean for me. And um, I can remember an occasion when I, I went down to my local church and the, the vicar uh, said to me one day, he said, James, we don't have many young people in our church. And I looked around and thought, yes, I know, I'm the only one. And he said, why don't you do something about that? And um, I honestly didn't know what, what he wanted me to do but I, I sort of said yes okay and um, that was really the first uh, moment of responsibility that I took uh, in terms of leadership um, and over the next two years I started a youth group um, um, encouraged folks to come along that I knew we saw people come to faith um, involved me in all sorts of leadership uh, stuff that I, I hadn't really had to do before and um I, I learned probably as much about leadership in those two years as I've learned at any other time in my life, primarily because I was given the opportunity to do something. And even though I'm not sure it was a sort of strategic leadership development strategy on behalf of my vicar, I think it was more a, gosh, we need some more young people desperation. Uh, it actually was a very significant uh, growth time for me. And the two people who were most helpful to me at that point were my parents who were just models of great leadership, both my mother and my father in very different ways, were just great models of good leadership. And it was from them I really took my lessons. Mm. And how's your leadership developed over the years since those early days of leading a, a youth group and those initial uh, steps of obedience and, and taking responsibility? How's that developed as, as you've grown? Yeah, so... Um, uh, following school, I went to university. Um, I, I had a sense that God might be nudging me towards ordination, so I read theology at university. And I, and I honestly don't remember how this happened, but somehow I sort of got into um, the Anglican process for discerning whether somebody might be getting called to ordination and um, ended up going through um, that process and leaving university and going straight into a vicar factory. Uh, so I was actually ordained by the time I was 24 years old, very young, very, very green, very, um, yeah, uh, lots to learn. But I, the, the, the next stage in the process for me was just having the most brilliant training incumbent, a vicar uh, under whom I was sort of learning how to do the job. Uh, he was just brilliant at um, uh, giving me opportunity, 
uh, encouraged me to understand and develop in my own gifts. Um, uh, he um, was immensely supportive. Um, uh, and uh, uh, over those three years, again, I learned a huge amount about myself and also about the nature of Christian leadership and how that might be um, exercised. Uh, through the good example of my incumbent and uh, through the opportunities he gave to me. And really since then, I've been on this ongoing journey of, of, of growing and understanding uh, what it means for me to be a leader, what that looks like, um, and uh, um, how how to exercise leadership in a way that reflects um, the Christian faith. Because there's lots we can learn from other places, but at the heart of it, we, we need to be those who lead like Christ. Um, and that's been my ongoing sort of journey of trying to work that out over the last 30 years. Lots still to learn. <laughs> Absolutely. We're all uh, on a learning journey, aren't we? But how would you describe the core values and beliefs that you now has have as a leader that have been formed through all of those experiences? Yeah, um, I, I would say, first of all, that um, the first priority of every Christian leader is not to be a leader. And and that's fundamental to my understanding of leadership. Uh, the first priority of every Christian leader is to be a disciple of Jesus. Um, you may know in the business world that they sometimes say, how do you know if someone's a leader? And the answer is look behind to see if anyone's following. Well, I want to say that just will not do for us as Christians. How do you know if someone is a Christian leader? Don't look behind to see if anyone's following look to see if they're following Jesus. Because if they're not following Jesus, they're not a safe leader to follow. Um, so our first priority is to be a disciple. And um, to be perfectly honest, that's the biggest challenge of Christian leadership. Um, I, I don't find it that difficult to lead others. I find it a lot more difficult to lead myself. Uh, in other words, to be a follower of Jesus, to allow his agenda his priorities, his perspective to shape my thinking, my understanding, my living, the way I lead. That's the biggest single challenge for me. Um, and it's the thing that I you know, ongoingly grapple with and uh, try to, to, to faithfully uh, uh, continue to grow and learn it. So that would be my first thing. It's, a, it's about um, following Christ, growing in Christ-like character, um, understanding more what it means to be um, Christ-like in both uh, who I am uh, and in what I do. Because when our identity is clear in Christ, then we are much less likely to use leadership to meet insecurities that are in us. And we're much more likely to lead from a place of security, significance and self-worth. And that's a much healthier way of leading. That's great. Now, this issue of insecurity and identity is huge in the work that I do with leaders. How do you help uh, leaders who are coming through your programs to really explore that and to become more uh, self-aware um, and also more secure in, in their identity? I'm sure people listening will want to know that because uh, it is such a, a big issue. And obviously, it's a it, it's a lifetime's journey, really. Um, the tragedy of living in a, a world which um, uh, has rejected God as king of the world is that, of course, we see the consequences of that, not just in terms of broken relationships with others and with the very earth in which we live, but we see it in terms of a broken relationship with God and with our own selves. So it's a major, major thing. Um, we do a whole range of things to try and help with that. Um, uh, we, we encourage people to grow in the spiritual disciplines that root us in Christ. 
uh, of which there are a whole range of spiritual disciplines that help with that. Um, but actually those spiritual disciplines are fundamental to uh, our, our growing uh, in, in Christ. Um, and we live in a world where discipline isn't a very um, popular word. Uh, no, so so actually um, one has to actually help people to learn how to exercise those disciplines, practice those disciplines, uh, train wisely in godliness. Um, it's much less about trying harder and much more about training wisely. And the spiritual disciplines, if you like, are the training regime of the Christian life. Um, and that helps to root us in Christ. Um, the second thing is that we do, as you suggested, uh, help people to grow in self-awareness. Um, and and that's, that's often about what are the drivers that are inside us that if we're not careful will drive us beyond the call of God. And, and we all have stuff comes about through a combination of nature and nurture uh, that is unhealthy and unhelpful in us and uh, drives us inappropriately. Um, and so helping people to identify what those drivers are and how to get them out of the driving seat um, uh, and ensure that actually our identity in Christ is in the driving seat, if you like, um, is part of the process um, of helping people to, to, to grow in security in who they are uh, in Christ. And then the third thing we do is that um, uh, we know that Christian leadership is not meant to be exercised um, um, individualistically. Uh, Christian leadership is a communal enterprise, not a solo enterprise. So the third thing we try to help leaders work with is, is how to sh um, lead well with others, to share that, their, uh, to share leadership with others because we're far more likely to be safer in our leadership uh, because people will be offering us the sort of feedback and accountability that's helpful. Uh, we're far more likely to be safer in our leadership and secure in who we are in Christ if, we work, if we're leading with others than if we're leading on our own. And some of the temptations and struggles that come if we lead on our own are ameliorated by uh, being in a community of others that we lead with. So those are some of the things that we try to help people with uh, as we think about this identity, security, uh, uh, dynamic of leadership. Uh, James, you talked about unhealthy drivers in leaders and the need to deal with them. And certainly I resonate with that from uh, my own baggage that I've had to uh, deal with in my own life. Why is it that leaders seem to find it so difficult to deal with those issues and how do you go about helping them? That's another great question. Um, I think one of the reasons why leaders find it hard to deal with them is um, something called the dark side of leadership, um, which is that uh, the very things that often get you into a position of leadership, once you're in leadership, are the things that destroy you. Uh, and uh, this is the it's, it's called the paradox of the dark side of leadership. Um, so so. Um, and the reason why they end up destroying you when you're actually in leadership is because of what happens when you're in leadership. Um, and it's to do with power, basically. Uh, you get power. Uh, it's a word word we don't use a lot, actually, in church circles, but I think we probably need to use it a little bit more because the reality is every leader's role involves some power um, that can be exercised positively and well or negatively uh, um, in the context they're in, both soft and hard power. Um, and uh, the, the, the drivers feed on power. And 
if we're not careful, if we don't keep them in a good place, they end up damaging us and damaging others around us. So how do you help leaders both identify where the, that soft and hard power is causing those drivers to um, impact the way they're leading and to do something about it? Um, the way we do that is we actually give them a, a little assessment um, uh, around the, uh, the, the drivers. Um, we, we use a couple of sort of tools to help people reflect on what their drivers are um, and then also to understand a little bit about, therefore, um, how power could take those drivers to an unhealthy place and what you need to do. So, so it's actually by getting some sort of honest reflection and an evaluation going on, deepening self-awareness through that. Uh, by, uh, and identifying that it actually helps people to go, oh, okay, I can see that and I can see how it's playing out potentially negatively and therefore I need to do something about it and then working with them to look at practical things they can put in place. And oh, what are some of those drivers? Um, there's, a, there's actually a number of different ways of of, of sort of um, identifying them. Uh, uh, one of them uh, comes through the world of transactional analysis, actually, and they talk about five different drivers. For example, be perfect uh, would be one of them. Um, uh, uh, please others would be another. So if we take the please other driver, which is actually very common amongst church leaders, in essence, what that leads you when you're in leadership is if your driver is always to please others, then it's, of course, very hard to say no. And if you never say no as a leader, you will be ineffective as a leader. You'll be ineffective in two ways. You'll be ineffective because you end up doing too much. And actually, if you're not careful, you end up damaging yourself by burning out or becoming emotionally exhausted. Um, and you also, if you don't can't say no, you become ineffective in terms of your leadership of others. Because we all know that one of the most important words that those of us who are in leadership sometimes have to exercise is the word no. No, we're not doing that because as much as we're able to discern it, this is what God is wanting us to do. Um, uh, and again, if if um, the please other driver is too strong or not contained in a healthy way, um, then actually it gets to damage. Yeah, that's fascinating, isn't it? Because I've seen that at play in, in many different situations where actually people are wanting to please people because, but because of that, their leadership becomes very inconsistent, i.e. the decisions aren't being driven by values, they're not being driven by core beliefs, but they're they're being driven by whoever shouts the loudest around them and whoever's causing the most uh, problems around them. Do you see that happening as well? Yes, I do. And and also uh, sometimes just uh, being made on the basis of who last spoke to them. Um, and uh, that's never a good basis on which to be making decisions. Um, yeah, we, we, we certainly um, uh, see that playing out. So that's just one of those five different drivers. And they all play out in different ways um and have, have sort of different patterns that they follow um so self-awareness is so important to understand well which one am i likely to be defaulting to most of us have a mix of them but which one is the one i'm likely to be defaulting to um and and of course the other reason why these things become more apparent when you're in a leadership when you have leadership responsibility is not just because of the power but also because of the pressure because these things manifest themselves under pressure. They're more likely to come out under pressure. Um, and therefore, um, <laughs> you've been around leadership long enough to know that there's a lot of pressure involved in leadership. And therefore, almost inevitably, some of this stuff is going to manifest itself. 
uh, if we're not aware of it and haven't got good strategies or keeping it in a, in a healthy space. Wonderful. I, I resonate so much with that, uh, James. Now, you're in uh, CPAS is a, an Anglican uh, mission organization. Is there anything uh, unique or more challenging about leading in the Anglican communion than elsewhere? That's an interesting one to explore. Um, I think maybe a couple of things that might mean that leadership in the Anglican communion is a little bit more challenging. I, I mean, I'm speaking primarily, of course, from a UK perspective. Um, I'd say maybe um, one thing is that uh, it, it is both it is both a good and a bad thing about the Church of England. Things take a long time to change. <laughs> we, we don't measure change in 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 days, weeks, months, or even years. In fact, we often don't measure it in decades. We tend to measure it in centuries. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, now there is a positive thing about that. Actually, um, there is a positive thing about it because. When change does occur, we we often have really thought very hard about it, and it will be deep, significant, and lasting. There is, is there is of course a negative about it as well, uh, and and the negative is that there are in an increasingly fast paced change society times where you just need to be quicker in your change, uh, and we sometimes get left behind. Um, so that would be one. Another would be diversity. So one of the wonderful things about the Church of England and one of the challenges about the Church of England is that it is an enormously diverse church uh, on all sorts of levels. And leadership in uh, where there is significant diversity is nearly always more challenging and demands things of us in leadership that can be yeah, can be lead us to have to delve deep to hold diversity well. Uh, in an honouring, respectful, and yet at the same time holding to biblical insight and truth, uh, um, you know, all those dynamics. And, and yeah, Church of England is a very diverse place. And, and there's some benefits to that diversity, aren't there, as well, in terms of the the different voices that are brought to the table and the different understandings and the different giftings and skills uh, that are brought to leaders as well. Yeah, and 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 all that diversity is 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 you know there's as you say much uh, well um, certainly when working on teams, what you want is people who aren't like each other. You want people who are different to one another because the diversity is what actually makes the team rich. Um, but there are also some challenges around diversity as well, um, uh, and and it's just trying to work out that those two realities, the both the positives and the the challenges, uh, how we handle those both well. I, I remember hearing someone say recently, or, or a little while ago, just a really helpful thing on that about one of the key things in leadership is to re- is to understand that you you actually. Um, uh, resolve problems and you manage tensions. Don't get them the wrong way around. And I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. Uh, because if you try to resolve, yeah, if you try to resolve tensions and manage problems, you end up in a mess. But actually what you need to do is you need to resolve problems. Here is a problem. It needs sorting. We need to find a way through. That requires leadership. Here is a tension. Uh, this tension needs to be held. Um, it needs to be managed. We recognize people are in different places in this tension. Um, and that requires leadership, but it requires leadership that is secure enough to hold the tension and not feel that it's got to be resolved. And quite a lot of leadership is about holding tension. Um, but if you get them the wrong way around, if you try to resolve the tension, 
and only manage a problem, you get frustration on both sides. I, I see the need for a great tool there, James, to help people determine the difference between the right. two, unless one exists that you're going to tell us about. <laughs> yeah, there'd be a bit. I mean, we, it, it, you can do a little sort of, you know, the quadrant sort of things that you often use in these types of things. You can do quite an interesting little exercise around a quadrant that, that actually helps you to go, now, is this a tension or is it a problem? And how would I know? And where would I place it on the quadrant? So there are some things, I think, which can help us explore that further. Yeah, I'd love to talk to some more about that with you offline, and maybe maybe we can produce something that will help people in that yeah, space. Yeah. That would be great. Now, now you, you, you've looked at um, uh, millennials, uh, people born between around 1984 and 2000, yeah. and, and and how uh, their approach to leadership um, is in some ways the same, and some t- some some ways uh, different. Uh, what have you seen as you've seen that young generation who are now making Making up nearly fifty percent of the workforce, and and are increasingly stepping into leadership. What, what are you seeing amongst them in terms of the way that they'll lead lead and their approach to leadership? Yeah, they're an exciting bunch. Um, but but actually, I think one of the things I just want to say right at the start is that um, uh, more recently we've begun to recognise, and I think others have as well, that actually the millennial group, nineteen eighty four to two thousand or thereabouts, actually divides into two groups: they're the early millennials and the later millennials, and there are actually some quite distinct differences between the two. Um, so I think quite a lot of the research on millennials is, is, is getting a little bit more nuanced, even about the group called millennials, Gen Y. Um, but some of the shifts in terms of leadership, um, they, they tend to be folks who think of leadership uh, less in an individualistic sort of way and more in a sort of collaborative sort of way. Um, they tend to be um, folks who think of leadership um, less in terms of position and more in terms of something which is earned. Um, I think, I think they tend to be those who think of leadership uh, and um, are less guarded and wanting more vulnerability in leaders, uh, which if you're of my age is quite a challenge because I was brought up basically my sort of early years brought me up to be guarded. And if I want to develop younger leaders and I am guarded as a leader, I am really going to struggle to connect with Gen Y because authenticity is one of their touchstones. And one of the ways they see authenticity is through vulnerability. So here am I, a guarded, you know, good old um, uh, uh, baby boomer. Uh, and uh, they, they struggle to connect with me because I don't, I, I, I don't show the, I don't act in the ways that help them to see the authenticity they're looking for, even though it might be here, they don't see it. So that's an interesting dynamic, that guarded vulnerable one and how that works out between leaders of different generations. Mm. And do you see conflict arising there between leaders of those different generations because of that? Yeah, because of that and a number of other things. Uh, So for example, um, people of my generation have been brought up in a culture of commitment. People of Gen Y generations, millennials have been brought up in a culture of choice. So that means you come at things from a very different perspective. So we do a lot of work with Gen Y leaders uh, and uh, who are often in leadership positions with those of an older generation. And they're, they're They've got into you know difficulties, um, and I think quite often people put it down to personality. But our experience is quite a lot of those difficulties are more related to generational difference than to personality difference. Um, and sometimes just naming that and helping them to see that, and then work out, ah, oh, okay, this is why this is happening. Here's what we can do about it. 
what we talk quite a lot about just trying to help each generation understand one another. And we've only named in this bit of the conversation two generations. There, there are at least four or five that are alive at the moment. So it gets even more complex when you add in others yeah. to the mix. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and what do you see is the unique contribution, I suppose, that millennials will bring? What is it about their upbringing that will enable them to go further in leadership than, than maybe our generation has? Uh, a number of things. Uh, I think they have uh, an integrative approach to stuff. Uh, so they are more likely to uh, see things in connected and holistic ways. I think they are more emotionally empathetic. And I think that's a real strength that they bring. Um, I think they have a love of fun. And I actually think that's a really important thing in leadership. Uh, and it's great that they have a love of fun. And that partly is reflected also in terms of their, their sort of ways of wanting to learn and grow and develop being a little bit different. And I think that's quite quite a healthy and engaging um, thing uh, that, that, that they bring. And, and then I think like every younger generation, they bring energy. Uh, I don't think that's unique necessarily to them, but we need the energy of the young, don't we? Particularly if you're, you know, um, of an older generation where you know your energy levels are beginning to deplete. They, they are not, you know, they're not what they were when you were 25. Um, we actually want that energy and that enthusiasm and that positive sort of can do, let's make it happen attitude. Um, uh, and we want to try and uh, combine the energy of the young with the wisdom of the old and put the two together in a really healthy way. Uh, That's great insight, James. Now, one of the um, signature programs, if you like, of CPAS is the Arrow Leadership uh, Program. Tell us a little bit about that and how it works and the key components of it and and how people can get to go on it as well. So Arrow is a program we have been running now for nearly 20 years. Um, It's aimed at uh, 25 to 40-year-olds who are in leadership, primarily in um, either local church or Christian organization context. We have had some from uh, other spheres, but primarily we're aimed at that particular uh, group. And um, it's an 18-month process where the little strap line we use is we try to help leaders to be led more by Jesus, lead more like Jesus, and lead more to Jesus. So what we're grappling with as we go through the program is is not just the sort of stuff of competence in leadership, it's the stuff of character stuff of cool stuff of our ongoing relationship with god um the the deep stuff that ultimately is the stuff that sustains us for the long haul and yes we we want to help people grow in their competence as well but it's it's more than simply competence um and we run the program every couple of years and take a cohort of 24 people it's a sort of application process you know people apply to come on the program and um uh, it's always such an engaging and interesting group to work with over an 18-month period. Um, it's such a privilege to be involved with it. I, I'm sure I learn far more than anybody else does on the program every time it's run. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, what kind of transformation do you see in the lives and ministry of leaders who've been through the program? What do they say to you about the impact that it's had on their lives and their ministry? I mean, I'm slightly hesitant because there's always a danger of over-egging these things, isn't there? And one one needs to be measured, I think, in in response to a question like that. Um, but I, I I've over the years heard enough people um, from the program talk about it being ministry saving, and I think that generally 
genuinely is the case that for, not for all by any means, but for a significant number of folks over the years, it, ha- it has had that level of impact that people who are on the verge of leaving their ministry role or wondering how on earth they could continue in their ministry role have found the process has been ministry saving actually i was i was i was actually staying with a a couple the other day he went through the arrow program way back in the early days and as soon as i arrived at their house his, his wife embraced me warmly and said thank you it's so nice to see you again it saved our marriage arrow and i've heard that a number of times as well um over the years so at one level there's, there, there has been, for some, a very significant impact. Then there's a, a larger group for whom it's, it's just been a jolly helpful process. They've learned new things, met new people, um, uh, had some refining of their, their understanding of who they are, of grown in godliness. So I, it wouldn't, they wouldn't talk about it in terms of ministry saving or marriage saving. They're, they're, they're talking about it in terms of it being transformative. And then I think if I'm really honest, there are, there are some who go through the program and it um, it almost bounces off them. Um, I'm not sure they're impacted very significantly by it. And, and it, that might be for a whole range of reasons. We've done a bit of work to try and identify why that might be the case. So it is for a range of reasons. So there's a real variety, real variety of sort of impact. Um, but we, we've had a couple of occasions where we've had external assessors measure the impact and have been encouraged by the assessments that have been offered. Mm. Mm. Mm, now that's great now if people want to find out about the program where, or about CPAS where, where do they go to, to have a look at that yeah just uh, to our website cpas.org.uk forward slash arrow and uh, there's lots of information up there and uh, some videos and uh, loads of uh, that people can find out um, uh, and then if they want to find out more uh, then there's contact details on there they can come through to us and we'd very happily chat with people about it it's uh, something we enjoy uh, enjoy running where it's a privilege to be involved with and uh, love 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 having the folks who, who come on it each time round, uh, seeing what god's going to do in their lives through the process mm-hmm. well james thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today I, I love what you guys are doing at the arrow program and uh the heart of it in terms of uh seeking to raise up leaders who who follow jesus first and then <laughs> create other followers of him is absolutely fantastic and I applaud you in in what you're doing um, and I'm sure that um, our listeners have learned something from what you've said I, I certainly have as well so thanks so much for joining us today great to be with you thanks for having me thanks for listening we love getting your feedback so please do email us with questions ideas for guests or comments on what you've heard our email is hello at forge-leadership.com you can review and subscribe and share the podcast at forge-leadership-podcast.com.